0: All right, well, I'm excited this morning to be able to get to share with you a message, part one this morning, part two tonight, and we're calling it Heaven's Kitchen. Heaven's Kitchen. <laughs> um, <clears throat> some of you already recognize a little bit of the artwork there, but let me just give you a quick explanation. Uh, the, this comes from the term Hell's Kitchen. This is kind of built a little bit off of that, and... Uh, it's a playoff of that. But let me just explain Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen, actually originally, that terminology came from a notorious neighborhood in New York City. Actually, it's still there. And, but they've changed it a lot, and it's, it's, uh, it's, I'm told it's a lot better than it used to be. In the early 1800s, they, uh, late 1800s, excuse me they, there was a culture in that neighborhood, and it was a pretty rough culture. And they don't know exactly who coined it, but somebody came along and said, it's like, it's, it's worse than Hell's Kitchen in here. Now, though, people, when they think of the term Hell's Kitchen, they think of a TV show, uh, typically, about a chef who basically has the my way or the highway attitude. And by the way, I don't suggest watching, watching that TV show. It's laced with profanity. I mean, the guy is just uh, merciless. And he does it all for entertainment, I think, but he is certainly building a culture in that. And the culture he's building is that you better do it my way, and if you do it my way, you'll become a successful chef. So he's created this culture known as Hell's Kitchen. Uh, but let me tell you what, that is not a good culture for real life, though. That may be okay on his show, and it may be entertaining for some people. That is not the way uh, to, have a, to have any kind of culture around you. So today, though, we're going to talk about family. I want to use this because uh, I want to have a home that is filled with heaven. I don't want to have a home that's filled with hell. And I don't want to have a home filled with what other people might think is good, but what God thinks is good. (laughs) And I'm, I'm particularly talking to parents this morning, but I hope that everyone will tune in to what I'm saying. I'm calling us to create, and it's up to us as parents especially to create, and husbands and wives really, to create a God-defined culture in our home. But this culture, we want it to have its own unique personality, unique to you, unique to me, but it needs to be transformed by Jesus and it needs to be conformed to God and His ways and to the Word of God. A home life, we want a home life that is getting its direction from heaven. So that's why we're calling this Heaven's Kitchen. Since we're mostly talking to parents today, let me just say this. I know not everyone in here is currently, at this moment, a parent. Um, and I know there are some in here that hope to be one day. And so I encourage those folks to put some of this stuff in the bank for later and to save your notes or whatever. But uh, I'm going to show you some key verses that you can go to to help someday with that. But there are also grandparents in here, there are brothers, there are sisters, there are uncles, and there are aunts in here, etc., etc. This is an opportunity for you to learn how to encourage those people who are parenting right now, and how to pray for those that are parenting right now, and, and uh, they need your help. They really, really do need your help. So we appreciate what you can do to help with that. And let me also say this. Some say to pastors, and I've heard this said before, you shouldn't preach on parenting until you have grandkids that are serving the Lord. (laughs) I see the wisdom in that, I do. However, this morning, I am not coming to you as an expert on parenting, okay? Uh, You know that because you know me. (laughs) And I have six children And I raised them right here. I have five sons and one daughter. And you watch me. You watch my children. So this is a little bit daunting for me to come up here and stand and talk about parenting because you're going to hold me accountable. And I'm willing to do that uh, because I want to be held accountable as a dad, as a husband, and all of that. But I am not an expert and um, But I am a person who loves the Word of God, and I also know this. I believe, I believe strongly that the Word of God is the best parenting book that there is. And so, if I want to have a home that's, that's filled with heaven, then I better understand how to raise children in the way that God wants me to raise children. I want to get the answers from Him, not what Dr. Whoever says. I want what Dr. God says. But here's... I also how I come to you, I come to you as a pastor also who loves people. So anything I say today, it's, I, I want, it's because I love people, I love families, and I love parenting. And I've dug in a lot to find out what God has to say about parenting. And I'm also a student of people, and I've seen firsthand some good Christian parenting over the years. You know, I've talked about parenting a few different times at different seminars and things like that with, with my Uh, leading from the couch ministry. When I do, I always say say that to folks. Listen, I am not an expert. I I am not a parenting expert. Do not look at me that way. I love the Word of God, basically what I just told you. But I also say this. I am a fourth-generation Christian on my mom's side, and I'm a third-generation Christian on my dad's side. That just means, just in my own family, I've watched some people pass on the baton before in parenting. And I've also watched other people do this. And so I've watched, and I've seen, and I've seen how they've applied God's principles. So I hope that helps also along the way. I do remember when Aaron, our oldest, was very young, just a baby, and I was all of a sudden hit with this thing that you have to raise this little individual, this human being. And that's a huge responsibility, and I felt the weight of it. And I remember we were driving to a men's retreat, And I, just me and my dad, and I I asked dad, uh, dad, how do you, I'm freaked out, dad, (laughs) basically what I said, I'm scared that I'm not going to raise him right, he's not going to love the Lord, and he's not going to, I don't don't know what to do, afraid I might ruin him. And uh, he said, he said, I have no guarantee for you, son, I have no guarantee for you, but here's what all I know to do, you obey God the best you can, the best you know how, and pray like crazy. And then you let, you just see what God does. And so that's really, ultimately, I could probably go sit down right now and we could all go home and have lunch here, because that really is the ultimate word, obey God and pray like crazy. But it's the obeying God part that um, gets, gets tough on the day-to-day level. And so I, I want to give us some, some stuff here today about the obeying God and what God has to say about this so that we can obey him, and I've searched the scriptures so I can do that. I am determined at this point as a dad to just let God lead me, and then I'm going to leave the results to him. So I've learned over these last few years in the parenting, my oldest is 17 years old, so I've been doing it that long, to relax a little bit. Relax a little bit, do my very, very best, work my tail off, pray like crazy, but just relax a little bit. I want to encourage you with that as well. Let me, let me open this this way, though, the need for this message. There was a time in America when families looked more like the biblical model of families. Now, there is no family that's perfect, never has been, never in America. Even the good old days weren't always good, okay? There was a lot of bad stuff going on. But in general, a lot of the families looked more like the biblical model, and that was good for our nation. It was good for our country. Um... But America's families have even changed over the years, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that. Our culture, by and large, has gone so many years now in the opposite direction from God and His Word that if you try to explain to, let's say, a college student on a, on a college campus, if you try to explain to them what God says about parenting and describe a biblical model of the home, they'll look at you like you just stepped off of Mars. It won't click. It doesn't make sense. It's, all, it's foreign. It just doesn't, and in many ways, it doesn't even seem right. And so it is countercultural to do things God's way. Uh, God's ways are strange to people, but this is no surprise. We, if we look at history, we find that the, this decline of the family has been, go, has been in civilizations for thousands of years, and it's been a pattern like this. A civilization will rise, and then the families will start to break down, and then eventually the civilization goes under. It's the same pattern. And it's not me saying just me saying this. I'd like to show you here one of the most interesting studies I've ever seen, maybe the most interesting study I've ever seen. Someone called this the Harvard Prophecy. The Harvard Prophecy, because it comes from a man named Dr. Carl Zimmerman, and he wrote this in 1947, his magnum opus, his book, his study for all these years that he wrote called The Family and Civilization. He was a professor of sociology there. As far as we know, he was not a religious person, but he just studied all these different civilizations. The Greek civilization, Roman Babylonian, Assyrian, Sumerian, and then the Western civilization, and he just looked at their pattern, and he found that all of them began with a strong family unit that resembled the biblical model, but every single one of them, he also found that the downfall of each society was directly associated with the breakdown in that traditional family unit. Zimmerman came to the point where he wrote in his book, he gave eight symptoms or eight predictors if you will that foretell then the demise of a society these are his words back in 1947 i'm going to show them to you here the eight things eight symptoms or predictors that foretell the demise of a society here they are number 1 marriage loses its sacredness it's as it is frequently broken by divorce Such divorces do not consist of guilty parties, but simply two people who wish to terminate a relationship. Basically, no-fault divorce. Number two, the traditional meaning of marriage is lost. Alternate forms of marriage arise, and individualized marriage contracts are advocated. Pseudo-intellectuals begin to theorize that in order to save marriage, its form must be changed to a less strict, looser, more companionate structure. Number three, The feminist movement abounds. Women lose their inclination for childbearing and rearing and the birth rate decreases. Number four, there is an increased public disrespect for parents, parenthood, and authority in general. So that parenthood becomes harder for those who still try to rear children. Number five, there is an increase in juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion. Number six, the hostility of pseudo-intellectuals toward the traditional family soon spreads to the common people, sealing the doom for the society. Number seven, there is an increased acceptance of adultery. And number eight, there is a tolerance for and spread of sexual perversions of all kinds, especially homosexuality, but including others such as rape and incest. This generally marks the final stage of a societal disintegration. Now, that is a Harvard professor back in 1947 writing those things. And doesn't that seem so prophetic? I mean, doesn't it seem like you can just kind of read America between the lines there? Now, it all begins when it's a society going against God's design for a family. Now, I don't want to be an alarmist this morning. I'm not trying to freak anybody out, Um, but I do have genuine concern. I have genuine concern about the world that my children face, that my children will grow up in. But let me put this into perspective here. In every one of those civilizations, there were God's people. And and remember this, that God's people are no strangers to going against the flow. We've always done that. We've been through this before, and you know what? We'll do it again. But this is why... What I'm talking about is so important, I think, this morning. We need strong Christian homes. Our homes have an eternal purpose in days like these, the days that we see. Our families can actually promote the gospel in greater ways in days like these. Um, individuals, I tell, I'm telling you, and we know it, individuals will get tired of living this way. They'll get tired of what they see around them. They'll get tired of all this and they'll, turn to, they'll look for something genuine, something real, something of value. And that's where God's people need to be there with, with us and our families, ready to, to show them what Jesus can do to transform their lives. This is not a time for Christian parents to sit down and let the culture happen to the home. I believe the home needs to happen to the culture. And I think it's time to create heaven's culture within our own homes, if we, we need to have something that combats that for our children. I don't want the, the culture creeping into my house. It's time to, time to make an impact by having a culture of our own from heaven. Basically, the boat needs to be in the water, but the water shouldn't be in the boat. You understand what I'm saying here this morning? It is said that cultures are created, if we're going to create a culture in our home, the cultures are created two ways, either by intent or Apathy either by intent or apathy, meaning there already is a culture in your home. There already is a culture in my home. Whether we like it or not, we've created one. And I want to have a culture that's created by intent. I want to happen to the culture. I want to make something happen with God's grace. But make no mistake, there already is a culture in your home right now. And so we need to understand that and then embrace God's way. A lot of people, the culture we have is kind of passed down to us. You know, we're, we're in factory setting mode. Have you ever gone to default mode? You know, you call up Apple and your phone's going weird and they say, let's go back to default mode. That's where a lot of people are and that's how we parent sometimes. at default mode, the factory settings. Whatever kind of came down from what we remember, we just do that. That's not a good way to parent, I don't think, from Scripture. Or some people follow a book or some people follow a blog. Uh... And some people, some of us, are just flying by the seat of our pants. And that's all, those are all something, ways kind of people try to figure out how to do this thing. And I know it's not easy, believe me. But as people who lead homes, we need to step back and look at things and make sure we're doing it the way God wants us to, from His Word. Now, again, I am not suggesting that we all look the same. Here's, here's the words I want to use this morning on that. God is not suggesting, and I am certainly not suggesting, uniformity, where we all look exactly cookie-cutter. I'm not suggesting uniformity, but I am suggesting conformity. Conforming to God's ways, conforming whatever, changing whatever we do need to change to what God, how God wants us to change. It's a shame if we don't, if we look and think, ah, it's fine. If there's something that needs to be changed. So, what does the Bible actually say about parenting? Quite a bit, actually. I'm going to give four things this morning and four things tonight in part two. I tried to look up all the key verses and look at the direct commands of God to parents. And I'll give some of those in each message. But what emerges when you start to do a study like that? God, what are you saying to parents? What's the most important things? Maybe what's the, mo- the bulk of the, of the teaching on parents? God, what is it that you're saying? There's two main things that stick out. And those are my first two points this morning. Uh, and then there's some other things that we'll share as well. Other uh, Principles. So now I'm going to try to do this in a memorable way for us using this heaven's kitchen theme. I'm going to put it, uh, use some common kitchen tools to kind of help us remember what these things are, what these principles that we gather from God's Word are, all right? So here we go. Number one, Christian home life should be a crockpot of teaching. The, the, the Christian home should be a crockpot of teaching. A home that takes the long-range view of teaching the Word of God and character. Now, before we look at that passage, think of a crock pot. A crock pot, uh, a slow cooker, is a great invention. Amen. I mean, I'm telling you it's a great invention because right now at home, a crock pot is brewing my lunch, and I'm going to be there pretty soon. And it's wonderful. It works while you're not working, you know. And, um, but you've got to think ahead. You've got to plan ahead. It takes a long time. And even with the invention of the instapot, um, the slow cooker is still my favorite. It, you, want, you want that nice, slow cook. It takes something that's hard and makes it soft. As parents, we want, God wants us to slow cook our kids. I am not suggesting that we put them in the crock pot. Don't try that, please, okay? Our kids need to be slow cooked for Jesus. Slow, steady, biblical teaching in the home over time, over time, over time, it's slowly just creeping and seeping into their brains. Daily, adding line upon line, precept upon precept, brick on brick. It's a slow, slow process. But man, is it st- we have to stay steady at it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, let's look at this, what God says. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. Now, let me just remind you something real quick. The book of Deuteronomy is basically sermons by Moses. And Moses is giving these sermons and these messages right before the people enter into the promised land. They've been wandering for 40 years. Many of these things Moses has already said, but he said it to these people's parents. It's 40 years later. The the daddies and mommies have died off. Now we have a new generation come up and they're about to go into the promised land and have their own homes. Their parents didn't have homes. They were wandering around in tents for 40 years. You're going to have a home, you're going to have a yard, you're going to have a farm, you're going to have a life. And so you're going to be parents here. You're going to have your own families, and here's what you need to know. And Deuteronomy is just a whole list of things that God wants for these people, his people, as they move into the promised land. And, and the, the first thing, and then Jesus tells us later that this is the first and greatest commandment of all, to love the Lord thy God. This is the greatest commandment, Jesus said, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. <laughs> That is, there is no more important commandment. So this is the duty. This is everyone's duty. This is mom and dad's duty. Love the Lord your God. If you're a parent here today, there is nothing more important than this right here, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This, This is where it all begins. And then you take the words and put those words into your heart. So as parents, we have to love the Lord and then we have to put God's words in our hearts. So then right after the number one commandment of all time, that's what Jesus said, then right after that, he gives directions to the parents for what they need to do now as parents. This is their number one duty as parents. Verse 7, And thou shalt teach them those things that you've placed in your hearts, God's word, you shall teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them. Watch this, when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of the house and on thy gates. Notice what God thinks is important for these young families to do as they enter the land. He says, teach Teach, verse 7, teach your children what I've taught you, what I've put in, in your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read these verses, it sounds like it's creating a culture. It's creating a home life. It's happening all the time. When you sit down or in those leisure moments, the leisure moments that you have with your family, you should be teaching during the leisure moments. There should be some kind of teaching going on, some kind of, uh, some kind of crock pot happening, in the walking, he says, when you sit and when you walk, or in the travel times, in your cars, when you're driving around, it's a perfect time for biblical training, biblical teaching, talking about the Word of God, memorizing a verse, singing a verse. In, when you lie down, God says, when you lie down, it's time to teach, basically the last moments of the day those quiet moments right before bed. Sit down there and talk about these things. Talk about something. Tell them a story. Tell them a Bible story. Do something. And in the first moments of the day, he says, when you rise up, in the first moments of the day, begin talking about God's Word, something about God. Praise God. Say some things about God. Read God's Word. Talk about it. It's this ongoing every single day. And then he says, put it all over. Put it on the post of your door. Write it on on your house. Put printed material up in your house that has the Word of God written on it. You know, put little things around your wrist that have the Word of God. Put it even on your heads. Put it everywhere. And of all the things that the Bible says that parents should do in raising children, it's not just here, but it's, it's all over the Scriptures. Teaching them the Word of God and character is number one. There is just no better parenting advice than that. Here's another verse for you. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but bring them up in the nurture or the chastening, the training, and then the admonition of the Lord, which is instruction. So uh, think about this in Ephesians here. Paul is writing this to parents and he's especially fathers here. He directs it to, but it's to fathers and mothers. And he's given already all sorts of heavy theological doctrine in the book of Ephesians. Um, But now he wants to get very practical, and he reminds fathers and mothers, here's what you do in your houses about all this. When when it really comes down to it, here's what you're going to be doing in your house. Uh, Don't do things that would provoke anger. As parents, don't do things that would provoke anger. But rather, here's what you need to do. You need to nurture them. You need to bring them up, which, needs to mean, which means nurture. Bring them up in the, uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So train them. The, the word nurture actually has to do with training or discipline or chastening. This is an action word. The other word there is admonition, and that's a verbal. That's, that's speaking of something we do verbally with our kids the instruction that we give them, the correction through our mouths that we give them. Some parents say, you know, uh, I, since more is caught than taught, you know, I'm just going to make, they're going to watch me and I'm just going to live and they'll be all right. I don't know, you know, it's, it's uh, I think that'll be all right. But remember, watching us is only half the job. We have to use our mouths to proclaim the Word of God and to teach the Word of God in character. Verbal teaching of the Word of God is vital for our homes. Here, I'm going to give you quick, quickly six reasons that Deuteronomy 6 works. Six reasons Deuteronomy 6 does work, and I hope this helps you. Number one, it leverages the power of non-conflict moments. It leverages the power of non-conflict moments. See, you're with, with our kids, we, we have all these times, and I, don't, I can't tell you how many conflict moments there are in our home. All the time, I'm, I'm a referee for, for some argument, it seems like. These guys, you know, my boy, I have so many boys, they, they play basketball, they play football, they play baseball, they box, boxing, they wrestle, they, they do all of the above in the house at times. And they do it everywhere and at all times. And there's always competition and there's always somebody who eventually has to come in and break up the, the situation or say, am I, am I the winner, dad, or is he the winner? You know, and you got to come in and result, figure all this stuff out. And then there's fights and then there's discipline and then there's all these kinds of things. Those are not the times. You can do a little bit of teaching, but those are conflict moments. And let me tell you something, not a lot goes through that head at that moment. But when everything is calm, in the first moments of the day, you're all sitting down there, and I've already planned, I've got something, that a word of something from the Bible that I'm going to talk with my kids about, the defenses are down. There's no conflict, and people are ready to hear. People are ready to hear what you have to say. And as a dad, as a mom, I can talk with Freedom. And so by doing this all throughout the day, in the leisure moments, in the travel moments, in the moments that we get up, in the moments that we lie down, there's this, this times of non-conflict where there's such power in that, and they, they, they soak it up. And then they're ready for the next time that something might come up. So we use those non-conflict moments to our advantage. Number two, it explains the moral reason why. The great series, Uh, Growing Kids God's Way uh, talks about some of these things and this one is fantastic and I love this one because kids are always asking why? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to obey that rule? Why is that rule in this house? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And by taking these non-conflict moments, by taking these moments throughout the day, I can explain the why because always in, in, in the moment of the heat of the battle, I may not be able to give the reason why but there are times when I can And they're going to have that in their minds for the next time. We're setting a framework. We're setting a framework in their mind for how to live life as as one of God's people. We're not just correcting the action now. We're thinking about the future. It's the long-range plan. And so I'm using these moments to help them soak this up. I'm settling the moral reason why. So they have that deep down, and they'll make better choices in the future. Number three, it settles who's in charge of the home. It settles who's in charge of the home. When I take my time to actually talk to them about the Word of God and I open up the Word of God in front of them, I have just settled in their minds, subliminally, who's in charge of this home. It's Dad, but it's not just Dad. There's somebody in charge of Dad, the the God. I am using the Word of God saying, here is our authority, kids. This is who we follow. I'm dad, yes, I'm in charge here, mom's in charge here, but ultimately, here's our authority right here. And so by doing that throughout the day, by telling them the word of God, by talking about the word of God, I'm reminding them every single person is accountable to the word of God. You're accountable to God at the end of the day. Mom and dad too. And so this is just a great way to settle the who's in charge idea. And then number four, it creates healthy conversation and communication is vital for healthy families. And I know one thing about communication, and that is if I do not do it intentionally, I do not do it. I will spend time on countless other things other than taking the time to have communication with my children. There's a lot of things I'd rather do in the moment, if you understand what I'm saying. And a lot of them revolve around entertainment or doing something else or a little phone that's in my pocket uh, that I should take my eyes away from and look to my children. Number five, it decreases the need for chastisement. I notice a huge difference in a home, in our home when I'm intentional about teaching. When you do these all throughout the day, you're just reducing your, your need for so much discipline. And then number six, it brings in the supernatural. This is my favorite. I don't know about you, but I can't do this parenting thing. <laughs> I cannot do this. I cannot do it without help. And I need the Lord Jesus Christ. I need God on my side. And this is a way to bring God into the home. Now, I want to just say, I know a lot of people might be thinking right now, <clears throat> now how am I supposed to teach the Word of God all, day, all, this, all the time? It's easy for a guy who studies the Bible for a living to say this. You're standing up there and saying all this stuff, yeah, nice, nice. But let me remind you, Deuteronomy 6 was not addressed to pastors was not addressed to spiritual leaders in the church or anything like that. It was addressed to regular dads and regular moms, all of us. And if God commands us to do something, if God commands his people to do something, then anyone can do it with his help. He doesn't command us to do something that's impossible. But it will take the effort. It will take a lot of effort. And nobody's going to do this exactly the same. It's not going to all come out in the same exact way. But that's, and that's not what God says, and I'm thankful for that. It's not uniformity, it's conformity. We're conforming our homes to what God says. We're not trying to create any kind of cookie cutter stuff. Now think of cooking for a minute, though, when it comes to this whole Bible training thing. You're trying to teach your kids the Bible, and you don't know what to do. And I understand that. At first, I felt like an idiot, too. And this is exactly how I feel. Let's go back to the kitchen thing with cooking. My wife is a great cook, and when she goes to cook, it's totally different than how I cook. When I cook, if I'm going to actually try to cook something, which I rarely do, uh, I will bring out the book, and I will follow it line by line, and I am extremely slow. If I'm going to cook dinner, I have to start at 1 p.m., okay? So the dinner is ready at the right time, and I take all day to go down the list and make sure I'm doing everything right, and I read it about four, five, six, seven different times to make sure. When my wife goes to cook, it's totally different. She goes in there, she doesn't even use a book, and she's just throwing things in there, grabbing stuff really fast, throwing things in there. And, uh, and it tastes way better than what I did with all the exact little things. How does she do that? Practice and Time. And just having done it so much, it's second nature. That's exactly what this is when it comes to Bible training. At first, you go really slow and you feel like you're just dry, you're not sure, but that's okay. Stick with it. Stick with it. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, because that's what God says to do, not what I say to do. God just says, keep doing this when you wake up in the morning and when you go down, just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Keep doing it. And then pretty soon, you get better and better over time. So how do I start this? Just start something. Start family devotions. Read the Bible in the morning or night. Memorize verses before dinner. Tell a Bible story before they go to bed. Ask questions about the Bible. What they, th- they learned at church in Sunday school or whatever. Then create a schedule. You're, I'm going to create a schedule. I'm going to do this. We're going to do this every day at this time. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk. Create that schedule. And then my, the next step would be do it poorly. Do it poorly, just, but just do it. Just keep doing it poorly. This, I'm doing it horribly. Perfect, you're doing just the right what you're supposed to do. Do it poorly, do it poorly, do it poorly, do it poorly, then pretty soon do it a little better, a little better, a little better. And just get used to it. And then just do not stop. Do not stop, do not stop. This is a crock pot. We just keep it going, and keep it going, and keep it going. But you know, probably the greatest thing in these verses, though, I do want to tell you, that we can do as parents is to, verse six, keep the word in your own heart. The more it's in your heart, then you'll be ready to share. Tiffany just sang that song. Lord, I need to get up in the morning and I need to have time with you before the crazy begins. That's, that's, a, that's exactly what we're talking about. We've got to get the word in our hearts before we face all of this. And remember, the end goal of, for them is to that they would love the Lord. I don't force them. I cannot force them to love God. It's impossible for me to force anybody to love God, but I can influence I can influence, and I can become creative about filling my home with God's stuff everywhere. Here's the second culture that God wants us to create, I think, and number two here, a stovetop of discipline. A stovetop of discipline. These two things are the top two in Scripture uh, by way of at least the bulk of the Scriptures. What we see is teaching and then training or discipline. Discipline for discipleship, a home life where parents aren't afraid, To turn up the heat of discipline for discipleship. The word discipline leads to that word discipleship. That's the whole point. We're discipling our children. That's the reason for discipline. It's the reason for training. The heat of a stove transforms the food that's on that stove from one state to another. And that's what we're trying to get at. And it can do it quickly. There are times when God wants us to turn up the heat on our children Because the heat is what helps a person change. And he helps us change. You know God loves you so much this morning. He loves every single one of us that are his children. And he loves you so much that he will turn up the heat on you. Hebrews chapter 12 says, who he loves, he chastens or he disciplines. He doesn't treat you like you're not a son. He treats you like a son. And with a son, he disciplines them. Because he loves you. So God loves you enough to discipline you. So we're going to talk about discipline here for just a few minutes, and we're going to do this by way of what God says. But I want two thoughts here for you. Number one, there are many, many verses in the Bible about discipline. Many of them. About parents disciplining their children and how wise it is. But the second thing is that almost all the verses on discipline are not telling us to let up. They're telling us to lean in. Now, let me explain some of this. In fact, I can think of ex- many examples in Scripture where God said that the parents were, uh, in fact, I can't, I can't think of any uh, examples where God said that a parent was being too firm with their children. Now, I'll clarify all these thoughts here, but there are examples of parents being too lenient in Scripture. David, the king, could not tell his sons no, and it cost him so much was a disaster. Eli, the priest, also could not control his children, and there was huge problems. Samuel, the prophet. So now we have a king, a priest, and a prophet, and none of these guys could control their, their children, and there was enormous issues. Their children were disasters. So we're not alone this morning in that, that struggle to chastise or to discipline our children. It's difficult to do. Um, there were people, great people in Scripture who had the same trouble that we do. But remember, discipline is ultimately about discipling. It's about getting to the heart of a person. And so sometimes to do that, we have to turn up the heat. And I do not mean this morning screaming at our children. That yelling at a child deafens the heart. Their heart will not be changed. It will just deafen that child. It will not be changed for the good. And I'm certainly, 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 let it be said, I am not saying to beat our children. That is abuse, that is abuse, and it breaks the heart of a person. And we're talking about properly done biblical discipline. And I'm aware this morning, let me just say this right out in the open. I'm I'm aware that spanking is a controversial, I know that. In fact, this week a big report came out on this, I don't know if you saw that, about not Spanking. We're going to recommend that people do not spank all the psychologists and psychiatrists said from now on. I'm sure that many people, though, and and here's part of what I want to say on that. I agree with them to a point. You know, I'm sure there are many, 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 many people who do this improperly and they're doing more harm than good but I do want to make the point that there is a difference between simply spanking or the way that some people spank and then biblical chastisement or biblical discipline for a a young child. I'm against abuse completely, but I am for biblical, loving, self-controlled spanking. But I'm also for all kinds of discipline that is not spanking as well. So please don't go anybody go home and beat your children and say that Pastor Luke said, it's okay and this is a good thing to do. It's not what I'm saying. By the way, if you want further details on what I mean by all this when we talk about this, because I don't have time to go through all the details of this, but I'm happy to chat about this. You can email me. You can talk to me later, whatever. Uh, My email is Pastor Jeff at (laughs) thehomechurch.net. Love you, Pastor Jeff. No, really, I, I don't mind talking about it and clarifying my thoughts uh, but, uh, but my info is on the back of the bully bulletin there. You can contact me anytime. But let's look at what God says about this. Not what Luke Pollack says or anybody else says. Let's look at what God says on this. Proverbs 19, verse 18, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. <laughs> Proverbs twenty two fifteen foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And then twenty nine seventeen, correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest, yea he shall give delight unto thy soul. According to these verses, the biblical benefits of biblical discipline are these number one, they offer hope that a child will follow the Lord. The earlier we start discipline, the more hope there is. If you win in the early stages, better chances you'll win in the later stages. Number two, it expresses a parent's love for their child. The Bible is very clear. Loving parents, discipline. And I've even had young college-age people come to me and say, I wish my parents would have cared enough to discipline me as a child. Number three, it drives away the binding power of foolishness. Number four, it brings wisdom to the child and removes shame from the family. Sometimes the best thing you can do for your whole family, not just that one child, the whole family, is to discipline that child. And number five, it gives parents rest, the Bible says, and delight. The overwhelming word in Scripture tells us that biblical discipline sets up a child for a significant life. It's like farming. You don't yield, when you farm something, you don't yield the results in the same season often takes time. But sometimes it'll happen immediately and, and discipline will oft, often happen. You'll, you'll get the results immediately, some of that rest and delight. But sometimes it's just keeping at it because eventually we see the fruit of that. Here's the one thing I want to say on this subject uh, to all the families in here and moms and dads, especially with y- young ones, you have to win. Win. Don't be weak. Win. 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 I think the pendulum has swung in the permissive dir- direction in this generation. The crockpot approach for teaching is good, but the crockpot approach for discipline is not good. You, you can't ignore behavior. Oh, it'll come around. We'll just slowly kind of do things to try to aim them. in the right. no, That's not how it works with discipline. You gotta get to it. You gotta turn up the heat and get it to it immediately. And don't be afraid to her- turn up the heat biblically. I have. There are times in my life, and I remember one of our sons, Andrew, who's now just an exceptional young man. But you know what? As a little kid, boy, did we have, a go, have to go around and around with that guy? Stubborn like his mother. I cannot <laughs> tell you. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Did that come out? Uh, he he was he was so stubborn. One day we came to church and I said say hi to your aunt and he would not say hello say hello to your aunt <laughs> wouldn't say it say hello to your aunt and that's not just this we've been dealing with this in the past not just that issue but he, he was just starting to build some uh, some of that and um, so I spent all of Sunday school dealing with that all the whole hour trying to get him to just say it then to me all I want you to do is say hi to me and he wouldn't even do that. And we went all the way through. But you know what? I won. At the end of the day, I won. He finally said it. Took all, all that morning. And you know, um, he is, I, mean, I see such great things in his life right now. But I, that's, this is, you know, many of you have probably heard my dad tell the story of when he had to hold the paddle right next to me uh, when I wouldn't eat my sweet potatoes. You don't understand what I'm saying? I, and he, he, he held, you remember some of that story? And I still don't eat sweet potatoes today. I told him he ruined sweet potatoes for me. So here's the point. You might ruin sweet potatoes for your kids, but you will not ruin their life by disciplining them. You, you will not ruin their life. It's, it's just, God does not ever say that. The next thing, the third thing, and I'm going quickly. We also need a home that is a cheese cutter of consistency. A home where leadership is predictable and organized. I love cheese cutters, okay? I do. These one that you see in the picture up here. I love that kind of cheese cutter. It frustrates me to get multiple different thicknesses of cheese on my sandwich. Drives me nuts. I will go wash the cheese cutter if it's dirty instead of just going getting a knife and just cutting the cheese. I want want a nice, perfect cheese. Ephesians chapter 6, 4 says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You know, nothing provokes a to frustration a child more than inconsistency we all understand this fr- frustration any sports fan will tell you i always just tell the referee i don't care how you just just i don't care how you call it just call it consistent everybody wants consistency it's what we want everyone knows it's a huge struggle jesus said in matthew 5:37 let your yes be yes and your no be no i can easily go against that verse all the time i do that I say no to my kids and then I say yes when they whine. No, you can't have that, Dad, please, please. Honor. Okay, okay, fine, 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 fine. Just, just. What did I just train them to do? I just trained them that whining works. Uh, and, or I threaten and repeat them, threaten them and repeat myself over and over again. Get this cleaned up. Then I come back later. Why isn't this cleaned up? Then I come back later. If you don't get this cleaned up. Or consider this example. I came to a house one day. A lady, I was going to visit them. They, they had come to church. And I came to the house, the door, and I heard the loudest screaming I've ever heard in my life. She was screaming at her children. Profanity flying out of her mouth. You blankety-blanking kids, and you never listened to me. You never me I mean, as loud as she possibly could. And I'm thinking in my head, first of all, I'm not going to knock on the door today. I'm just going to go back. The second, they can hear you, but they're not listening. They've stopped listening. Uh, you have inconsistently taught them how to behave, and it's, um, it has caused you more grief than you realize. Um, Heard another lady this past week do something like, just very similar in the store. It's a hard truth to gulp down, but our frustrations as parents are often of our own making. Children really will rise to what we train them to do. Here are two results of inconsistent parenting. Number one, it trains children to be professional whiners. This is from Dr. Rob Reno, who wrote the book Visionary Parenting, just excellent. It trains children to be professional whiners. It's like a slot machine. You know, you never know when you're going to get it, and so they just keep whining, 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 yes, I got mom to budge, and that's how we are. We parent with like slot machines sometimes. Let our yes be yes and our no be no, and be consistent, be consistent. It frustrates children so much. Number two, it trains children that they can break any rule more than once. If I train my child to only obey me at a certain pitch of my voice, then, uh, then, then he knows now how long he can go. And say, so, okay, it's time to go. That is horrible parental training, and I've done it so many times. Inconsistency. But I just want to remind us of this also, how bad inconsistency is in parenting. There's a, it's a two-edged sword. When we are consistent, it's one of the greatest things in the world. Children thrive in structure. They thrive in consistency. It is one of the greatest things, and study after study after study after study shows that in school, in home, everywhere. Structure is so good for children. So, I would make the case that when I, when I think of some of the scriptural examples that we can't have, don't have time to look at, but Abraham, I believe, Genesis 18, will look at only this one. But look at this verse. God says, for I know him, I know Abraham, verse 19, I know him. That means he was consistent. God could trust what he would do, that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken him. God could trust Abraham to do the right thing. Joshua, if you remember, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Abraham said, I, or God said, he will do this. Joshua said, I will do this. We need people like Abraham and like Joshua to say, I will do this. And when I tell my kids, I will do this and I will be, we will do this, we are going to do this. When it, you're going to be disciplined for this action Then I will discipline you. This is how it will be. I'm making my decision, this is how we do this and it's best for you, you whining child. It's best for you <laughs> that I do this. Uh, the, can I make a hard statement? It requires a lot of work. So we don't clock out. When we get out of work, we clock in going home. We're clocking in. Moms, your job is discipleship. It's like Jesus, 24-7 with 12 numbskulls. And it's hard and it's difficult at times. But Jesus trained them and he kept at it. And that's our job. That's your job. Lastly, number four is a coffee pot of warmth. A home life where the aroma and taste of genuine love permeates and settles anxious hearts. Love. I love the first sip of coffee in the morning. I love it. And we set our coffee in the night to go brew, so it's perfect timing, because I like a fresh cup also. And I walk out there, you're finding out a lot about me today, aren't you? (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. I go out there, and I get that first cup. It's cold out, you know, and and now we're just starting some fire, the fire, so I get the fire going. I get that cup of coffee. I sit down with my Bible on my lap. I always open that first, and then take my coffee and take that sip, and everything is peaceful at that moment. There's quiet in the home because everyone's sleeping, but there's just so much peace, and I'm looking at the Word of God, and I have this hot cup of coffee, and there's just a sense that yesterday's stresses and yesterday's stuff is done. This is all new. This is a brand new day. And it feels good. It feels good. That's the kind of culture that I want in my home. That's the kind of feeling I want every member of my family to have. I think it's the culture, that's the feeling that God wants his children to have as well. Just a feeling of Security. That everything's okay, dad's okay, mom's okay, dad loves me, mom loves me. There's a lot of love in this house. I'm, I'm not anxious, I'm, I'm able to sleep at night and um, love. And that's how I create that, by, by really pouring out love in them, pouring out love. Jesus was the example. There is no better parenting example than Jesus. If you want to know about parenting, watch Jesus. Watch how God parents his children. He says God is a father, how he parents us. But Jesus, when he, in Mark chapter 10, he came to the children, and all these parents were starting to bring their children to Jesus. Touch my child, Jesus, and Jesus, and then the disciples said, keep those kids away. And Jesus said, ah, hey, hey, and look what it says here. He was much displeased, verse 14. Jesus was much displeased with those guys for doing that. He said, guys, I'm so displeased. I'm so, you don't get it. I need to love on these kids. And then verse 16, and he took them up in his arms, the children, and he put his hands upon them and blessed them. Jesus was creating this culture. Guys, you don't understand yet. I'm teaching you, but this is a culture of love. I want the littlest ones to come to me. I want to put my arms around them. I want to hug them because I'm going to give them the love that they need, that they can feel. Not just the love I give or a love that I think I should give, but that they can feel. There are two sides to love, giving and receiving. Giving is the action, receiving is the feeling. And we have to learn to love, get love in, a, in a giving way that they feel loved. Be careful what you say about your kids. You know, uh, it's not enough to just love my kids by going to work and paying the bills. I love them. It's not enough just to say, I love you. There needs to be love in a way that they can feel it. Um, And be careful with what you say. These kids are driving me crazy. Or I need some time away from these kids. Do you need to get away from the work of the kids? Okay. But they hear that you need to get away from me. They'll hear that. They'll sense that. And they'll feel your stress. I have failed in this so many times. In fact, I want to kind I of just fill you in on this just this past week just this week i am studying parenting this week and i was tired after a long day on thursday and i was at home and all the older kids they came here for a rehearsal for our drama that's coming up the christmas drama and all we had left was me and my wife and our littlest son joshua four years old joshua is a fireball Joshua likes to talk and talk and talk and talk. Again, he got that from his mother, I think. I don't know. But he is a talker. And he, um, dad, dad, do this. Dad, play with this. Dad, did you see this? Dad, look. Dad, here. Dad, what about this? Dad. Oh, man, oh, man. I just wanted to lay down on that couch and watch Thursday night football. And I told him we did something. I said, listen, at halftime, I'm going to play soccer. Dad, play soccer. Dad, play soccer with me. Dad, play soccer with me in the house. All right. At halftime, I'll play soccer with you. And um, so we played soccer. And then I just, after that, I patted myself on the back. You are a good dad. You are a very good dad. Now go lay down and just relax. And so I went down and relaxed. And dad, dad, um, what about this? Dad, what is, what, is, what is that team doing? Dad, what about this? And several times when he would say dad, I would say yes, Joshua, yes, Joshua, yes, Joshua. Holding back as much as I could. But do you know what then he said to me after a few times of that? It killed me. He said, dad, do you like me? This is the guy that's studying about parenting all throughout the week, okay? I'm telling you, they'll get you. Yes, son, I grabbed him, brought him under the couch, laid by me. I love you. I don't just like you, I love you. (sighs) They need to know that we love them. You know, discipline, yes. Training, yes. Consistency, yes. Without those, it's a failure. It's a disaster. But there has to be this undergirding of love, this warmth that just invades and permeates their little minds and hearts. They know, they know, they know you love them. Everything's secure. They can go to sleep at night. No, no stress. I think a lot of kids are dealing with that because of this very reason. God says perfect love casts out fear. Children should not have to walk on eggshells. They should not have to be afraid that dad or mom is stressed or angry. They should, go to, they should not go to bed with anxious hearts. I ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning here.